Welcome to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and on this show, I talk to entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share. Four-day work weeks are catching on. The Better.com CEO is back in action and Clockwise raises $45 million to reduce burnout through calendar optimization and Lattice triples its valuation to $3 billion. I'm Ben Wynn, and this is a special edition of Humans of SaaS, where rather than interviewing a SaaS human, I'm going to talk about new key developments happening in our space that affect all SaaS humans. And first off, four-day work weeks. It was really interesting researching this. So if we go way back, ancient Rome, they took every ninth day off for work and school. Much of Europe, they took every 10th day off, then moving forward. And then we didn't get to this modern day weekend concept until Britain in the 1800s, when factory owners would allow workers to take Saturday afternoon off from 2 p.m. onward so that they could come back refreshed Monday morning. Then in 1908 in the U.S., a cotton mill implemented a five-day work week so that Jews wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath. And then in 1926, Henry Ford shut down his factory for all Saturdays and Sundays. And then from there, it expanded until the Fair Labor Standards Act came into place in 1938, mandating a maximum 40-hour work week, which was adopted nationwide. And then since then, most countries around the world have adopted a very similar schedule. But now the way we work has completely changed. In factories, output is directly tied to the number of hours that a person is standing at their station. And to use a cliche, we're now working smarter, not harder. I know, I cringe as well. But we have these tools that allow us to get way more done in the same amount of time or less than we used to when it was just a one-to-one output. Four-day work weeks might sound like something that boomers would say millennials ask for because we're soft and we don't want to work and, you know, we just want everything easy and blah, blah, blah. But it actually turns out that four-day work weeks are almost always result in a boost of productivity, reduce costs, and help to attract and retain top talent, which is something that every single company is struggling with. It's already being done as well by companies like Kickstarter, Microsoft Japan, Basecamp, Shake Shack, Buffer, Shopify, Unilever New Zealand, Coconut Software, Bolt, who just became a Decacorn, Panasonic, ThreadUp, and there's an active, there are sites that actively track the number of companies, and it's going up very quickly. In fact, 30 companies in the UK just signed on to do a six-month trial of it to measure the productivity and see if it increases or stays the same. Because the other thing that happens is that worker quality of life goes up and well-being goes up. So even if productivity is the exact same, it's still worth doing for a myriad of other reasons. In fact, when Microsoft Japan did it, they saw a 40% increase in productivity. And now 85% of companies in Iceland are moving to a four-day work week since their study showed either no change or an improvement in productivity, which goes back to what I was saying. You want to boost well-being as well as productivity. And at the end of the day, Productivity is not what it's all about. It's also about recruitment and worker happiness and retention over time. And companies are also taking different approaches to this. For some, it's, you know, we now have three-day weekends. No one's working Friday to Sunday. For some, you know, some people get Monday off. Some people get Friday off. Some people get certain hours or they're working, you know, half days twice a week. For some, it's, and this is probably what I would personally like, it's a day where you can use it how you best see fit. Obviously, there's no meetings or anything like that, but you can use it as a catch-up day if you feel behind, and it will help you alleviate some stress. Or you can use it as a full day off. If you've got everything done, go take an extra day and, and have that 
four-day work week and, and three-day weekend. I think every company is sort of unique, so it's important to, to note that sort of everyone's taken a different approach to this, and if it's something that you're thinking of implementing, then it's something that you should do a lot of research and see sort of the different strategies and how you can test it out and validate it and all that sort of thing. But what it all comes down to is, do you trust your employees to get what they need done at the level it needs to get done at and by the time it needs to get done by? If the answer is no, then you've got a much bigger problem on your hands because you don't trust your employees. Uh, and that's something where you should definitely be taking a lot of action. But if the answer is yes, then you know maybe this is something that you should consider. And I, I do want to point out, just to be fair, I want to call it another problem, potential problem as well, which is from Gallup. So they found that among US employees for companies uh, in their study that were doing a four-day, five-day, and six-day work week, they track companies with all three lengths, compared to the four and, uh, a five-day work week, both the four and six-day work weeks actually increased the number of actively disengaged employees. So companies who switched from a five-day to a four-day, their number of their percent of actively disengaged employees increased. And same for ones that switched from a five-day to a six-day, it also decreased. Although it should note that the four-day work week, while it increased the number of actively disengaged employees, it did improve their well-being, mental health, and quality of life. But digging deeper into the Gallup data, what it really comes down to is the workplace and the work culture itself. So what I think is going on here is that if you don't have job satisfaction, if you are working a five-day work week and you don't like your job, and then your boss is like, hey, we're moving to a four-day work week, you're like, great, more time to not be here <laughs> and to not do this job. So, you know, that's obviously going to increase your disengagement and people who are on the fence might get a little more disengaged because now they have more time for other things in their life, which theoretically is a good thing. But if you do have job satisfaction and you like what you're doing and you like your job, then you're going to get the same amount of work done. You're going to do it at the same level of quality and you're going to get it done by when you need to get it done by. And it's not going to increase or de decrease your, your engagement. It's all it's going to do is boost your mental health and well-being, and it's going to make you want to stay at that company for longer, theoretically. At least that's what the data shows. Another thing that I want to talk about here, though, is, that, is something that comes up a lot. It was very trendy last summer, which is the summer of 2021, uh, for companies to give their employees just a full week off, just full company shutdown for a week, which was amazing. But what I saw and heard across the board was that this was really challenging for customer-facing teams. And frankly, it's just not, not fair. I mean, you can't say that, okay, engineering and product and marketing you know, and leadership and HR, you guys all get this full week off, but CS, customer support, you guys still have to come in Make sure you're talking to customers, manning support, all of that stuff. And it's also not fair to say, okay, you know, 90% of the company is going to take this day off or this week off, and then the rest of you will get a week off. You'll each get your own week, and it'll be staggered so that we always have coverage. On paper, that sounds good, but what that results in is there's a difference when everyone is off. Like, think about that week between Christmas and New Year's, or that time of year between those between the holidays when... For most companies, 100% of everyone is, no one is working. You're not missing anything. It's not like there's a million things happening and you're off on vacation. And, you know, because when that happens, you, there's still a part of your brain that is like, oh, I'm going to come back to all this, all these emails and all this stuff that I missed and it's stressful. But when everyone's taking time off and everyone's off, you know that nothing's happening and it's so much more relaxing. So it's not fair to say that some people get, you know, the really relaxing version where, everyone is off and they're not missing anything. And some people get the 
the slightly relaxing version where they're missing stuff and when they come back in, you know, there will be things that they missed. That might look different depending on the company in terms of how that works for a four-day work week, but it's important to figure it out and it's something that if you choose to do a four-day work week, you know, you just have, will have to get creative. Maybe part of the company gets Friday off and part of the company gets Monday off. That's that way, you know, maybe not everyone gets that that feeling of absolutely nothing is happening while I'm gone. But if it's 50-50, you know, it's dramatically reduced. And if it's a Friday and a Monday, you know, half the company gets Friday, half the company gets Monday, and people can opt in or something like that to, to which one they want. Uh, something like that might work really well. But again, every company is different. And, and this sort of thing is not something to take lightly. It's changing how we work and it's changing the work culture. It's changing our schedules. It's gonna, it, it will require research and training and implementation and tracking of results. And especially if you're a startup and you report into a board and you have venture capitalists behind you, you know, you're gonna need to justify this and, you know, Granted, you know, many of them are great people and they will care about mental health and they will care about well-being, but, you know, they're also going to want to see hard data. How much did this increase your, your retention? How much did this increase your productivity? And if it didn't do at least one, if not both of those things, then you're going to be under pressure to go back. And one thing I also think is important to point out is that once the four-day work week is in place, it's going to be very hard to put that cat back in the bag or whatever the phrase is, uh, the worms back in the in the jar or something like that. You know, once people get used to that, uh, it's going to be very hard to take it away. And that could end up actually hurting you in the long run because it could result in more attrition because, you know, people, if they love it, they'll find another company that, that does do it theoretically. So, you know, definitely go into a trial, think about how this could be implemented, how this could be slowly woven in to the way that you work. Because at the end of the day, I think this is where we're all going. I, like, I think that as we continue to have more options with where we work, how we work, you know, working from home, working remotely, working from other countries, um, yes, time zones can be a challenge. But as, uh, you know, as we keep going down this route of more flexibility and as we keep getting smarter about the way we work, we keep inventing tools, software and hardware and things that allow us to get more done in more flexible ways. I think, you know, four day work weeks are, are definitely the next iteration of the way that we work in at least Canada and the US. So I'm excited to see more companies continue to sign up for this. I personally uh, hope this is something that I get to experience um, in my work life soon because I think I would benefit a lot from it. For now, I just keep you know, taking advantage of unlimited PTO by, uh, you can make your own four day work week, uh, just you gotta abuse that unlimited PTO you know, the way that it's promised. So Hopefully this is something that we all see in our lives very soon. I'll be really interested to see the results from the UK study and hopefully they're positive. If not, maybe we stick with what we are at, but uh, I have a feeling that this is where we're all going and I'm excited to see where we end up over the next couple of years. This podcast is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. And I'm not just saying that because I work there uh, and because I work on the marketing team. I actually used to be a CSM and a CS leader. I used Google Sheets, I used other CS platforms, legacy ones, and I had all the pain points that you know everyone knows. Like they're great for so many things and you're able to do so much with them, but there are just some key things that you know I would never be able to do because I needed an admin to come in or I needed an analyst or it would take just weeks to iterate on health scores or things like that. When I saw Catalysts, 
and I heard the philosophy and I saw the product roadmap and I heard the vision, I knew it was something that I wanted to be a part of because having been in the CS space now for six, seven years almost, I know that this is something that, I mean, it already has provided insane value to, to our customers, but it will provide so much value to so many more folks. And I'm excited to be part of the company's growth. So if you're curious about learning more about Catalyst, go to catalyst.io and request a demo. Would love to get your feedback and show it to you. Next up, Vishal Garg, the Better.com founder who jumped into the spotlight for firing about 900 of his workers via Zoom last month and then took time off, is returning to his position as CEO. He's been taking a break from his full-time duties to reflect on his leadership, reconnect with the values that make Better.com great and work closely with an executive coach. They've done a thorough review of their company culture. They've added additional measures like a training program to build a respectful workplace and a new ethics and compliance committee that reports directly to the board. Uh, CNN reported that in his own letter to employees on Tuesday, Garg wrote, I understand how hard these past few weeks have been. I'm deeply sorry for the angst, distraction, and embarrassment my actions have caused. I've spent a lot of time thinking about where we are as a company and the type of leader better needs and the leader I want to be. Which is a bit of a departure from a post that he wrote a few weeks ago on the professional network Blind in which he accused fired employees of quote-unquote stealing from colleagues and customers by being unproductive and only working two hours a day, which was never substantiated. And I think it was actually walked back after people information came out about promotions that had actually been given to those employees due to their good work. So, And it's that's even a further departure from his email to employees in 2020. I didn't know this until I was researching this today. But he sent an email to his employees that said, all caps, hello, wake up better team. You are too damn slow. You are a dumb a bunch of dumb dolphins and dumb dolphins get caught in nets and eaten by sharks. So stop it, stop it, stop it right now. You are embarrassing me. I don't really know how to react to that. Like if I saw that from, can you imagine getting that message from your CEO? Like I think I, I would first think that their account had been hacked, but then I would just question their sanity to like, what are the, steps that you need to go through, hoops you need to jump through mentally to get to the point where you're this upset, but also this inarticulate, that you're using a weird analogy of dumb dolphins getting caught in nets and then eaten by sharks, which I don't think is a thing that happens. I'm pretty sure that dolphins don't get caught in nets where then sharks eat them. I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. But, you know, biology or wildlife analogies aside, just immediately I would be on every job board messaging every person that I knew asking for you know opportunities and things coming up next and granted that was back in 2020 we've all been through a lot since then it's a new year this is a new quote-unquote CEO you know since he took his month off but have you ever seen a CEO really change in any significant way or just a person in any significant way in, a, in this short amount of time. Changing your core values and how you engage with the world as a person is possible, but usually it takes years, and that's years of practice, of training, or sometimes hallucinogenic drugs, or a big mix of everything, a dealer's choice. But it's very rare, and it's hard work to change how you show up in the world. And the problem is the values of the CEO will always drip down to become the values of the company, no matter what's put on the careers page, no matter what you know is put on the wall in flashy colors that sounds all lovey-dovey, it all depends on what the CEO is like as a person because ultimately they dictate the culture of the organization. 
You know when they say when you marry someone, you're marrying their family as well? Well, companies are pretty much the same thing. You aren't just joining the customer success team or the marketing team. You're joining the CEO's team. So you need to make sure that there is value alignment there and they are someone whose team you want to be on. Something I've also seen is that more and more companies like Catalyst and like Boast.ai, whose founder I had on last week on the show, like Sendoso, eWebinar, and so many others, their founders are succeeding, both in terms of revenue, employees, company valuation across the board. And a big part of that, I believe, is because they're building these companies that they themselves would want to work at, and they have a people-first approach to everything they do. And you sort of get the sense that they've designed their companies based on things they've disliked from past companies they've worked at, which, I mean cards on the table, that's a big part of my marketing strategy. I look at marketing that I don't like and I'm like, okay, what's the opposite of this ad? Because this ad is terrible. Or what's, you know, uh, what's bad about this email that I just got inviting me to this thing? Okay, let's figure out what not to do. And then by doing that, we'll figure out what we should do. And so far that works great. I've always been haunted by the quote, um, I forget who said it, my apologies, but get busy building your dream or you'll find yourself building someone else's. That always haunted me because it felt like, oh God, if I'm not, you know, starting my own business, if I'm not doing this thing, then I'm, I'm wasting my time and I'm, I'm you know, it's, this is a bad thing. But something I've come to learn is that if that someone else is a great person and they treat me well and I like their dream, then I am happy to help them build it. And hopefully in the future, others will feel the same way and be excited to help me build my dream. It's not this like win-lose mentality where certain people are slaves to the other people's dreams and they have to accomplish whatever that person does. So you have to be a founder right now. Like, no, it's good to find other people with strong dreams who you align with and, and help them do it. And then in the future, if you want to start building your own, people will be attracted to your dream and want to help you build it. So, so basically what I'm saying is life is too short to help assholes build their dreams. That's why I thought that quote was relevant. I know it's less articulate, but it's true. Given the insane level of hiring and job openings across the board, you have lots of options. And the nice thing about our industry, the thing I love about customer success people is that they love to help each other. It is an industry whose sole function is to only succeed through the success of others. CS people wake up every day and then try to help others be successful. That is literally the definition of their job. Granted, like people love to help across the startup space. I think we've all learned that, you know, we get ahead by helping others, not by, you know, trying to sh shove others down, but by lifting pe other people up, um, which is something I absolutely love about our industry. But, you know, if you're in a shitty situation where, um, you know, maybe you're, you phrase it better than I did in terms of saying you're helping an asshole build their dream. Uh, but if you're in a situation where you're not happy and your values don't align with where you are, start talking to people, reach out to people, reach out to me, uh, reach out to people within your network, look for job hiring, hiring opportunities, job openings. There are so many incredible companies right now where you will find that alignment, find that value alignment and do work that you love and hopefully you know, feel better about doing it as well. So I would really encourage you to do that if you're not in a, a spot where you're happy right now. Startup Clockwise has raised $45 million in their Series C. Uh, it's funny because I'd never heard of Clockwise before today, but reading about it, I'm like, I really want this. Um, so according to Clockwise CEO, Matt Martin, Clockwise is the solution to the modern workday. Um, they optimize your team's schedule to create more time in everyone's day so we can feel present when we're working together, focused when we're working on our own. 
We enable a new way of working that genuinely respects people's time and helps create a healthy, sustainable future at work. Loving it so far. Since the platform's launch, this is according to TechCrunch, in 2018, Clockwise has rescheduled 4 million flexible meetings. It has also created more than 2 million hours of uninterrupted focus time for teams. Focus time is a feature that helps users visualize how much time they have for focused work by automatically creating a block in their calendars. Of course, they're not the only ones in this space as well. There's Calendly, which I personally use and have loved. Dooley, which is new, very exciting company, I've heard great things. Chili Piper is awesome. Reclaim, another one. Um, all fantastic companies who are working towards this mission of fixing our freaking calendars and our meetings. And all this points to a bigger problem, which is that we just have too many meetings. I looked at my Google, Google Calendar analytics. I actually didn't notice until recently that they added this, but it's on the left column um, when you open your Google Calendar into full screen. So I recommend you check it out. Um, it said, it showed me I had about 30 hours of meetings every week, eat like each week for the last couple of weeks. Since coming back from the holidays, essentially, I've had 30 hours of meetings every week. And when I pointed that out to my team, my colleague Danny joked that at least I have 10 hours to prep for those 30 hours of meetings, um, which made me laugh and cry at the same time. We actually have an emoji in um, the Catalyst Slack that's just lol sob, lol sob. And it's half the emojis crying and half of it's laughing. And I think it's probably one of our most used emojis because how else do you encapsulate startup life than with a, a lol sob emoji? Having 30 hours of meetings every week and then having to prep for those meetings, that's what leads to me sometimes having these 60 hour weeks that, that make me exhausted. And we also, you know, obviously I'm not the only one that's across the board. And we also have all, all have managers who are stuck in meetings all day. Uh, you know, when your manager can only get back to you, you know, at the end of the day or, you know, during lunch or they're sending you one word answers because they're trying to focus on the meeting that they're in. Like that's not fair to them either, because then for them to actually get work done, they're left to evenings and weekends, which which, you know, isn't good for anybody. And I've talked to many managers at Catalyst at many other tech companies where yet yeah, several days a week they're in six hours of meetings back to back in the day, sometimes more, sometimes less. But how can you possibly get anything done? Like you, you physically can't because you're either multitasking, in which case you're doing a shitty job attending the meeting and you're doing a shitty job on whatever you're working on, or you're giving 100% to one thing and not the other. So what's the solution? Um, well, I have a few ideas as to a lot of different companies. So I've stolen these from many people. Some of them I came up with myself. I'm sure I'm not that original, but I did want to highlight a company called Fellow App, Fellow.app. Um, they're a tool dedicated to improving meetings, optimizing time, and turning meetings into action. So a little different from like the calendar optimization tools. They're like a meeting optimization tool. But one of their sayings is no agenda, no attenda. Um, which I like half laugh at, half cringe at, but I like, and I have friends at Fellow, so um, thought I'd give them a shout out today. But their point is always have an agenda for your meeting. Uh, I cannot stress how much I hate going into a meeting when we don't know exactly what we're covering and exactly what we're gonna get out of it, um, which is my second point, which is always have a desired outcome for the meeting that you establish up front. We are here today, we're gathered here today to accomplish X, to figure out the strategy for this, for me to get feedback on this. That way you know when you can end the meeting because when you have accomplished that desired outcome, you can finish and finish early. Never have a meeting for the sake of having a meeting. Do things as asynchronously as possible. It's easy to default to, oh yeah, I'm gonna connect with this person later. Let me just schedule a meeting in the calendar. But do you actually need to do that? Can you just send them a message? Because that will save you a lot of time. 
Something else I've been thinking a lot about is normalizing 15 minute meetings rather than, you know, when you go to create a meeting, it automatically creates a 30 minute block, but most meetings don't take 30 minutes. Now we're all using the phrase, you know, I'm going to give you some time back if we finish a meeting early. Um, but instead of doing that, you know, there's a famous quote, please don't get angry at me if I have this wrong, but I believe that it was Elon Musk who said this, but his point was basically, uh, or the quote was basically, if you give yourself 30 days to clean your house, then it's gonna take you 30 days to clean your house. If you give yourself three hours to clean your house, then it's gonna take you three hours to clean your house. And I think that's so true. So whether it's him or anyone else who said it, you know, credit to whoever said it, because I think that's so true. If you give yourself 15 minutes for a meeting, you know you have to get the, to your desired outcome in those 15 minutes. So you're gonna be organized, you're gonna be straight to the point, you're not gonna talk about bullshit, you're just gonna go straight to it, and you're gonna get it done in 15 minutes, and that could cut your meeting time in half. So that's something that I personally am going to be trying. Obviously, only invite people who you know need to be there. Sometimes I find myself falling into this trap of like, well, I should add this person, this person, but then I'll slack them and be like, hey, this is optional, you don't need to come. For anyone busy, like an optional meeting means it's no meeting at all. So meetings should be binary. Either someone should be there or they shouldn't be there. Also review your calendar weekly and again daily. Um, and for any meetings that aren't urgent, just push them out, especially if you're in a 30 hour week. Like don't feel like you need to take every single meeting. It's perfectly fine and people are always understanding if you wanna push out a meeting. So I do that a lot. Usually I run it through the filter of, okay, if I don't do this meeting, are we gonna lose customers? Are we gonna lose revenue? Am I gonna, you know, is this like a reputation thing? Like, will it look, reflect bad on me as a person if I don't do this meeting? If it doesn't meet those criteria, then I'm probably just gonna push it off. Um, and sometimes I just push it off anyway, because at the end of the day, it's all about prioritization. Couple of the things I wanted to highlight, you know, add in focus blocks of time and don't let people book over them. I know we all do like, hey, it's no meetings Thursday or it's no meetings Tuesday or whatever. And then we block that off and then people just book over it anyway. Um, I've talked to easily like 10 different companies where that's the case. So really, if you're gonna do that strategy, be intentional, stick to it, call people out, not publicly, but just, you know, DM them, hey, please don't book over this. Please find a different time because this is my no meetings time. Um, and last thing I'll highlight, which I am the most guilty person of, which is do not multitask when you're in a meeting. Actually be present in that meeting because you'll be able to do the meeting better and shorter and it'll just be more productive for everybody. Um, I am notorious for multitasking and I actually think I wrote an article for the Unicornian, um, which is our satirical tech news site uh, a couple months ago that was like, things you can say when you're caught not paying attention during a Zoom call. So, you know, hey, you cut out for a second or <laughs> stuff like that, um, which I, you know, will shamefully admit that I do all the time because I'm working on multiple projects while also half paying attention, which ultimately, like I was saying before, results in, you know, worse results across the board. So don't do that. And I'm talking to myself. This is my own therapy time as well. I also wanted to highlight just that, you know, being in a lot of meetings and being busy does not equal importance or impact. Having fewer meetings actually allows you to have more of an impact since you are able to get shit done and not just talk about getting shit done. I know it frustrates the, the managers and executives that I know that are in these like six, seven hour days of back-to-back -back meetings because they wanna get things done. They love getting things done. You know, it's, they don't enjoy sitting around just talking about things. They wanna get their hands dirty. Again, when you can push meetings out, if you can not join meetings, don't join those meetings. Like meetings should be a last resort theoretically. 
But that's why I'm really happy to see the growth and success of platforms like Clockwise and 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 Dooley and Chili Piper and Calendly and Reclaim because and Fellow because they're taking us towards a world where our productivity is not just increased. Like they're not just productivity increasing tools, they're productivity optimization tools. And that means, you know, working smarter, not harder, but you know, we're feeling better. We're doing better work. We're being more productive while also increasing our well-being. It's not a zero-sum game anymore where, again, going back to that factory thing we talked about during the four-day workweek section, you know, where it's the more energy that I expunge, that I put out, the more productive I am. That's, there's, it's not like a one-to-one -one thing where I'm making a car. It require, like the work that we're doing now is very different and it's, we're thinking about scale and we're thinking about impact and we're able to do a lot with these tools that we have. And I'm incredibly grateful that I get to work in, in this day and age versus you know, 100 years ago and, and uh, Henry Ford's assembly line. Although actually, with inflation and New York cost of living, I actually might have been better off working 100 years ago in, in Henry Ford's manufacturing line. But I digress. And the final story today is Lattice's Series F, uh, which values the company at $3 billion, coming 10 months after its Series E at $1 billion. That is a crazy jump and a lot of capital in a very short amount of time. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, Lattice is a people management platform. It was getting a lot of traction before COVID, but then COVID just made it explode because now you've got people who are all over. They're working remote. They're working in the office. They're moving to the countryside. They're dealing with family issues and health issues and childcare issues. And people management just became this like central focus where we needed different tools and strategies to, to manage teams. And I think the growth and development and investment in this area just shows that we're really heading towards this worker-centric world where companies truly care about the success of their employees. And I say truly care not because companies are benevolent beings with great hearts, though many of the people that work at them are, but it's, it's in the company's own self-interest. And they recognize that. And I'm happy for it to be in their self-interest. I always think almost everyone acts in their own self-interest, but Smart people know that it's in their self-interest to help others. It's in their self-interest to be a good person. It's in their self-interest to you know, do good things and be altruistic. And you, know, you can get into a debate of, is it true altruism if you're doing it because, you know, even if it's for the sake of good karma, like you know, throwing it out there, it's still in your self-interest because we all want good karma. So I think self-interest is completely fine. I think it's, it's just important that you know, everything is aligned so that you know the company's self-interest aligns with the workers' interests, which aligns with the customers' interests, and and we can sort of create this really great cycle where quality of life, well-being, company value are all sort of in harmony, and we can all succeed together, which is fantastic and a little cheesy, but true. Uh, people are also demanding more of their companies. I think that's the other reason we've seen such a a, a big explosion in the space. So for companies that are not naturally people-focused the people are making it are, are saying either get people focused or, or we're going to leave. Now is an, a, an amazing time for raising capital. It seems like, you know, every day I go on LinkedIn or Twitter, another company, another founder has raised a whopping round from VCs, from angel investors. It feels like right now you can show up, you know, in Silicon Valley with like a nice PDF for, you know, what, whatever it is you want to make and you're going to get a term sheet. Um, or maybe it's just on a Zoom call now, but feels like that's the world we're in. So it's amazing for innovation and for all these companies that are starting up, they're expanding, they're hiring across the board. Um, but that also means that now it's more competitive, harder than ever to retain and to attract and retain employees. The good thing is that while we are in a race, 
you know, we're, it's not a race to the bottom where companies are being forced to cut costs or reduce quality or anything like that to stay competitive, but it's a race to the top where the companies that provide the best quality of life for their employees will attract and retain the best people, which will ultimately lead them to the most successful outcome. Like, could we ask for any better <laughs> cycle than that? And I'm not talking about perks like gym benefits or unlimited vacation or you know, things like that, um, audible membership. You know, those are all nice, but I, I'm talking about meaningful work, kind, supportive teammates, feeling like you're valued, feeling like you're appreciated. Like, those are the things that people actually want out of their office, uh, out, of their, out of their work. In fact, actually going on the, this is a bit of a tangent, but for the perks, I'd actually rather than be eliminated and for me to just get the cash equivalent every month, which actually some companies have started to do, but that's not a big deal. I still appreciate the perks, but that's not important. What is important is that this renewed focus on workers is very different and has shifted a lot from even the last 10, 20 years. I think the pandemic has woken us all up in a lot of ways and people are questioning now more than ever what they're spending their time doing, who they're with, and I think that where we're seeing that, or is, what we're seeing is that what it comes down to, when it comes down to it, the companies who put their people first are winning, and the companies that don't are losing. This goes back to the first story about Better.com. You know, they're not the only ones. I don't mean to make them into a scapegoat. There's tons of fantastic people that work there, and I'm sure there are great people on the leadership team as well. There are, are lots of companies that have tripped or stumbled in people management areas over the last few years. Um, but when you look at industries as a whole, as a trend, companies that make those repeat mistakes repeatedly um, end up losing people. Um, and when you lose your people, you lose, their, you lose your productivity, you lose your product, all that. You know, it's a chain reaction. And companies that put people front and center are winning. They're getting great applicants. They're getting people staying for, for a very long time. Granted, there are some exceptions. People will deal with a certain level of shittier culture if it comes with extremely high pay, um, which, you know, without naming names, we definitely know of some very large tech companies where that is the case, where you can get, you know, that bump in salary, but sooner or later, that's still going to come back to you in terms of, of employee retention. So I would say pay increases are a stopgap. Obviously, everyone needs competitive pay. It's not just about being somewhere where it's a great culture. Being paid well correlates to how valued you feel, um, which correlates to your work culture. So it's all important. It all ties together. That's something we all need to be thinking about. That's something managers need to be thinking about. Founders need to be thinking about. If you want to win in, in 2022, your people need to be front and center. Anyways, that's everything I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this new format. I really enjoyed doing it. And I, I really like tackling things that are topical. So I'm going to continue forward with that and, and uh, we'll see what happens next. But thank you so much for listening and I hope that you'll come back next week. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.